My, my guests today are tag team partners and brothers from Norwich. They're training under the parents of Paige, Paige from WWE. They proudly represent their Sikh faith through the art of wrestling. They hope to reach the heights of the WWE one day. Welcome to the Fodgy brothers, Rishpal and Ankar. How are Thank you for having us. No worries, no worries. Um, so what I like to do is just take it right back to what you were like as kids and uh, growing up. And I imagine uh, ending up as wrestlers that you... Um, you probably practice moves on each other's growing up. So just just talk about uh, growing up uh, together, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, um, I was pretty much born into wrestling. Um, I don't remember a time where I didn't watch it because um, my brother's obviously older than me. So he, he started watching it and then I just, you know, I've always been into it. So um, I grew up watching it. Naturally, we obviously tried out a few of the moves on each other. And uh, yeah, I can't remember a time where wrestling wasn't part of my life, really. Yeah, I remember um, being quite young and going around <clears throat> one of my cousin's houses and they, they were watching it. And that was the first time I ever saw it. And then from then, I was just hooked and we just started watching it at home as well. So yeah, I was probably about four or five when I started watching it. And um, whose uh, whose moves were you emulating? Who was your favourite fighters when you were when you were growing up watching it? Uh, so for me, uh, the guy who's always stood out has been the Undertaker. Um, he's always been the standout character, and uh, for me, like growing up, even like sort of at a young age, he was a little. His character was a bit like you weren't really sure what what he was going to do, but. Um, as you get older, you appreciate the character more. You appreciate his wrestling more. Uh, so for me, he's oh, yeah, he's always been the guy. Uh, for me, it was um, Bret Hart. Um, he was stood out because <clears throat> just his general style and um, like his character, um, like the fact that he wore like pink and black was like completely standout for that time and for like compared to the rest of the the roster. So um, yeah, like growing up, he was definitely my favorite wrestler. Yeah. I think um, I think that era of boxing, uh, boxing, sorry, wrestling, definitely was like um, one of the better eras, like the attitude era going into it. Like, uh, so I'm 24. I think you were a bit older than me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that era was just uh, obviously I have older brothers. They they were like um, five years older than me, so that they were watching pretty much and got me into that era of uh, of wrestling. But mm. it, it was definitely the best time. Like um, I remember for me it was def like Eddie Guerrero and RVD. I used to like the more like acrobatic uh, wrestlers. When Rey Mysterio came in, he was flying all over the place. I was just yeah, like, think, addicted to it. I think wrestling's changed so much because when we got into it, it was more about characters. Mm -hmm. And it was about, you know, the characters were, were the, sort of the main thing. But as time's gone on, it's been more about acrobatics, like you say, and different styles of wrestling and things. I think, yeah, like back in that era, like it's all sort of pre-Attitude Era, but going into the Attitude Era, they were all these big, huge, muscly guys. And that's completely changed now. A lot of the wrestlers are a lot smaller and quicker. Yeah. The whole style's changed. It's not just about power and strength and technical wrestling. is about like speed and making it more exciting. And yeah, it definitely has changed. And I think them guys you said, like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, RVD, they're the ones that sort of changed that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. When you were growing up, um, did you ever imagine that this is what you were you were gonna do eventually? Like when you were of like a really young age, when you were watching it, or or was it just like um, 
as time went on, you slowly, slowly got into it more and more? I don't think we ever really thought we were going to do it, like, you know, try and do it for a living. Um, it was just one of them things that we enjoyed watching and occasionally trying. But um, it, only, <clears throat> it, it only sort of really became like a, a possibility is when Paige got signed, because obviously she's from Norwich, from our city. And we started to find out about how she trained and things. And that was when it really sort of, the light bulb sort of went on and we thought, you know, we could possibly try this. But up until then, I don't think we re never really thought. I think even for a while after Paige had gone to WWE, <clears throat> we never really thought that, like, we would, we would do it. And, like, even if we thought we would go and try it, we never thought we would actually do it, like, yeah. start wrestling properly. So, um, yeah, I mean, for us, Growing up, it was just like it was like a dream. Like, yeah, we like. Can you imagine being like wrestlers? But you never, we never really thought it was like a possibility, to be honest. So the the movie that came out is uh, with Paige and the um, I forgot what it was fam family fighting with my family. Fighting with your family, that is it. Um, does that is that like a fair representation? Obviously, that was probably earlier. Um, when she's in, in Norwich, that's probably like an earlier version of how she was training and how the family setup was. But is it genuinely like a fair de depiction of what you experienced when you were with her, her parents, training under her parents? Or is it is it very much ho Hollywood fight? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, obviously they add a little bit extra. They kind of yeah. have to, but... Um, There's always I mean, it, it was It was pretty fair to be fair. Like, it was pretty close the, to how they actually The characters are... are I think very well like portrayed mm. like that that is sort of like that is sort of them it is obviously dialed up yeah. uh, for the film but yeah I think I think they've done a pretty good job of of most of the characters yeah sick and then because because you weren't um expecting to sort of go into the route when you were kids did you ever like look at tag teams and picture yourself because I imagine that like when you're growing up you always think of the the solo sort of wrestlers so like the rocks or the undertaker as you said in the Bret's hearts do you, do you ever look at tag teams and like because if you have cousins coming over and used to a one tag team and they're another tag team or was that just not a thing for you at yeah the i think i think for me the first like the first tag team that i was like like was like blown away by was the hardy boys um yeah. and the hardy the hardy boys obviously they're brothers as well so um there's that but it's just um, like you were saying earlier about the people who fly, like their style was so different to anyone who had been in there before them. Um, yeah, and I, I thought like when they were younger, especially um, like some of their matches, like they they would have the TLC matches with the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian and all that. Them them tag teams, they were the first ones that sort of um, sort of changed the game for me. Um, growing up, it was like like I said, I used to like Bret Hart, so he had like the Heart Foundation and teams like that. But once we were sort of, by the time we were at the age where we were a bit more into it, um, yeah, for me, definitely the Hardy Boys, I think. Yeah, I think I think previous to that, I mean, like you said, they were, they were tag teams. Like, like the Legion of Doom always stand out for me. They were obviously like a like an iconic tag team. But I think uh, Edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys, um, they sort of put tag team wrestling on the map because... It was kind of just a bit of a gimmick match before and no one really sort of took it seriously, but they kind of uh, made it sort of mainstream, I think. Yeah, 100%. I remember when, like, again, growing up, that that 
era was definitely dominant. I was looking forward to tag team wrestling because I knew Jeff Hardy would be on the top of a ladder doing a swanton bomb. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you yeah. just get surprised every single time. You're like, how is he still wrestling next week? Do you know what I mean? Like, shouldn't he be in a coma or something? But every week he's just even but, now, even now he's still doing it, and you think I know, it's mad. Yeah. It's crazy. It's mad. Did you did you because he had a, um both of them actually had a stint in TNA. Did you were you just um focus on WWF growing up, uh, or did you ever like dabble in other ones like WCW, TNA, or anything else? Uh, we never really watched WCW. We were always uh, very much WWE. Uh, we have always been WWE. To be fair, I mean, we have we don't sort of shy away from other promotions. We watch we have watched TNA in the past. I think when TNA was at its peak, that was quite a decent watch. Um, and now with AEW as well, you know, we'll give it a watch sometimes, but primarily it has always been WWE for us, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, obviously growing up around with that sort of age, so WCW, when um, we didn't really watch it, but when more and more of like the WWF wrestlers started moving across to WCW, is when you start following, we start following it a bit more, um, and sort of we didn't watch it weekly like how we did with WWF, but we did follow it, um. And it's the same with TNA, really. Um, as like some bigger names went in there, we started following that a bit. Um, yeah. And yeah, now sort of we tend to watch WWE more, um, but AEW, yeah, we watch that. That's that's um, a good alternative. So there's a um, there's a few. Is, is Chris Jericho in there now with AEW? AEW, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I, I remember like back in the day when TNA was starting to pop off. It was like the Hardy Brothers were there, Kurt Angle was there. So like. You naturally go to where your favorite wrestlers are, are going because obviously you want you want to watch exciting mm. exciting wrestling and I'm pretty sure they had a game back in the day as well um, TNA because it were actually being really really good at, at one point mm-hmm. um, and if you, if you had to like narrow down to one move I I imagine it's probably like uh, your favorite wrestlers finishing move but what would you say is like your one favorite move when you were a kid. And has that changed over time as more like you've got into wrestling and understand the technical side of things? Um, so for, for me, when I was younger, um, and he can probably like uh, testify to it, that, um, yeah, the sharpshooter, Bret Hart was my favourite. It was a yeah. sharpshooter. So I would always put him in a sharpshooter. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, growing up, the sharpshooter is still like a great move, especially um, sort of getting to do it and learn how to do it properly. It's actually like one of the best like submission moves, like one of the hardest to get out of um, and one of the most painful to be in. So it is, it is a great move. Um, other than that, like for me, one of the most like, for me, one of the most impactful finishing moves was Shawn Michaels switching music. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I was like, whenever you're going to get kicked in the face like that, like kicked in the face that hard, that genuinely would probably knock you out. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's them two for me. Yeah, I think when you're watching it, it's just kind of whatever moves or wires you most. But I think um, when we started training in that, because you kind of taught, well, the way we were taught was, you know, the wrestling way of doing it, the professional wrestling way, and then the legit way of doing it. So I think you have an appreciation for how how strong the actual move is. Like you said, with the sharpshooter, if you were to legit put that on someone, that there would be no way out. Like they wouldn't be able to get out of it. So uh, you have a different appreciation for the moves. I think. 
So what is the move that wowed you as a kid? And then what was the move that, looking back technically, other than the sharpshooter, um, that you thought was amazing? Uh, to be fair, it was probably the Swanton Bond from uh, yeah. Jeff Hardy because it was the first thing where it was like he used to fly and like no one really used to do that. Yeah. So that was probably the game of the Y factor. Um, in terms of uh, like legit moves, um, like you say, to be honest, any kind of submission, any kind of submission, uh, they look they look like sort of, oh, you know, you're, you can do this to get out of it, you can do that to get out of it. But if when you're actually in it, if it's so, not on properly, yeah, there is there isn't any way out. So um, I can't really pinpoint one that stands out to me, but just the appreciation for submission moves in general uh, that grew a lot when I started wrestling. As a tag team, it's probably hard for you to implement submissions because when you're watching wrestling, or when when I, when I was growing up watching wrestling, it's always like you're on the brink of them tapping out, and then the other tag team comes in and just ruins it sort of thing so it, that was obviously probably a lot easier to implement in a in a singles match than a tag team match yeah, definitely, you get definitely that, like, is yeah like you said this a submission is gonna take time to get anybody to to submit and tap out so it's always going to be difficult if they've got a tag team partner who can come in and break up the hold so i think that's what makes tag team wrestling more fun as well is that you always have the moments where you think oh is, is the partner going to come in Whereas if it's a singles match, you know, either he's going to get out of it or he's going to tap out. So I think tag team matches always give you that that chance that something else can happen. The the um the pile going back to Undertaker, the pile driver as well was one that I always got like I, I watched it and it made me cringe a lot of the time just because of how the head position. And did did they end up stopping that because somebody's neck broke, or was it was that one of them like rumors where they just stopped it for a while and then integrated it back in when everyone forgot to so I think the tombstone they, they kept because there is a way of doing it obviously more safely um, I think it's the reverse where you do the pile driver which they banned because I think a, a couple of wrestlers broke their necks when, when a few people, doing yeah a few wrestlers broke their necks Stone Cold Steve Austin actually broke his neck from a pile driver um, and there was a few other ones so yeah the, the pile driver is was banned yeah I don't think it's banned in all promotions. I think it's just the WWE, so you do see it still. I, I think the other in general, in the wrestling community, it's, it is quite widely banned. But yeah, you probably would find it in some promotions, yeah. Is that where like um, the, the guys, the guy who is pile driving has his legs forward instead of back? That's, I think that's... Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah, basically so a tombstone, but yeah. the other way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then like, how did you... When you got uh, to the age where you wanted to actually start pursuing it, and you, as you said, you seen Paige sign a contract with the WWE, and you wanted to take it seriously, how did you take the step from beating each other in your living room to going to actually like train and learn the like the art of wrestling? So, uh, also we found out about WAW, which is the promotion based in Norwich, and um, when she signed, and we were just sort of talk, talked about it a couple of times. Um, and then we just decided that we just one day, you know, we didn't even think that we were still going to do it professionally. We just thought we'd go down and check it out and see what it's like and, and see what it's all about. So, like for us, like we were discussing, weren't we? Like, just let's just go. They do training weekends. So basically, you go for the weekend, you train Saturday, Sunday. And we were just thinking, well, we'll go for the weekend and like just, just to see what it's like to like how they actually wrestle. But we never really thought we were going to stick with it, like to actually do do it and actually try to become wrestlers. 
yeah so so we all went down there um we met rick unite who's the founder Paige's dad and uh you know they welcomed us with like open arms it was it was crazy um because because we live in a city where there isn't that much of a diverse community um obviously we sort of stand out in a crowd so uh in a wrestling sense that's always a good thing um and yeah so they, they just really liked our look and they said are you coming back for the next training weekend and we were like yeah i guess so and uh yeah they just they just uh yeah really really pushed us and uh told us that they could be a future in this business for us so uh, that obviously brought us back for more going back to the uh diversity thing that you touched on that um I, I was surprised myself when i seen news um on instagram that you from norwich because I don't think there was a big like Sikh uh, community or Apana community in general in in, um, in Norwich. Is that something that um, was like evident when you were growing up? Like, did, did, could you feel like that you were the only ones, um, were the only ones there, sort of thing? Yeah, uh, I think growing up it was. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, you don't really notice it, but sort of as you get into your teen years and things, you start really picking up on it. Um, it is, yeah, it's. I, it wasn't always the easiest. Yeah. Um, it wasn't always the easiest to grow up in a predominantly white city um, where people aren't very, uh, well, it's, it's a lot better now, but they weren't very educated to other religions and other cultures because there was so little. Um, it's definitely becoming more diverse now, but it, was, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the easiest, like going through teen years and things like that. So, yeah, it definitely, you definitely felt it. And then, like, what age? So, how long ago did you start um, when you went for that initial weekend? Like, what age was that? Or how long ago was that? That was in 2016, 2015, possibly. 2015, I think it was, yeah. Fairly recent. I think right at the end, I think November, December time we went. Yeah. So. And then you just caught the bug when you were there, basically, and just never looked back. Yeah, so obviously we enjoyed the weekend. It was, I mean, it one thing it was like such a shock to the system how sore we were like after that first day yeah we could barely like walk like our bodies were aching i remember like struggling to get out of bed after the saturday's training thinking yeah i don't know if i can go to sunday yeah. because <laughs> it was like my whole back had seized up you could hardly walk i remember walking into second day's training and zach's like laughing at us going how you feeling boys and we were like yeah not good <laughs> Yeah, because I think our, our mindset was like most other people's, oh, you know, wrestling's fake, you know, well, it's going to be fine. And then when we were kind of, when, when we were there, it was it was a real eye-opener as to how physical it really is. Um, but in terms of what sort of brought us back was, like I say, it was just the, the nights and how they kind of um, encouraged us and, and sort of really gave us the, I don't know, the confidence to carry on, to come back because they kind of, as soon as they saw us, they're like, "Oh, you could be something. You, you know, you could have a future in this in this business." And you know, that's not something that you hear every day. It's not something we we're expecting to hear at all. I think it's like it's not just Norwich not being diverse. It's wrestling in general. Um, it's only recently becoming more diverse. Um, and even when they did, even when there was other cultures and other sort of not religions, but other other sort of um yeah i guess cultures sort of represented in wrestling is very stereotypical yeah. and um almost like in a sort of comedic 
way they were portrayed like in comedic ways I feel um weren't always given like a serious like a serious go at it yeah um, so for us like it was a chance to um that was always stand one. out because yeah that's that's what it said like there is no one there's no one like us in terms of like being full Sikh and um you know Sadad and stuff like there is no one like that in in wrestling in general so it definitely like it was a chance to sort of get into a new a new market and I think as a company and as a business they they sort of saw that when they saw us so yeah, yeah and I think in terms of the stereotypical stuff that's one thing that we instantly put out there that we didn't want to go down that route we didn't want to do the you know the dancing and the curly shoes and all that kind of stuff because it's been done and also it's not a you know a true depiction of, of the asian community is is everyone know oh they're indian so they must dance a lot and they must you know not take much seriously so we wanted to stay away from that and yes go out be proud of who we are but also you know be legit genuine wrestlers be taken seriously yeah yeah, yeah definitely that's something that i like i notice as well like you, you obviously have the predominantly um white sort of wrestlers that's like the majority of the roster. But then when there was other ethnicities, it was very much like, like you said, it was a, a bit stereotypical. So like there would be the luchadors and they would be like the Mexican wrestlers and they'd just be flying about like the Rey Mysterios or there'd be like, um, like Japanese was a very popular sort of wrestling unit. And then so, suddenly you've got Takeshi who looks like a, uh, no, not Takeshi, Rikishi. Um, yeah. That looks like a, a sumo. And then, like, every, like, sort of... You've got, like, um, what's it called? Seamus and Finley and the little leprechaun that they mm. had. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it was all, like, stereotypical all the time. And then I think what was um, good when the great Carly came in is that he actually couldn't speak any English or very yeah. little. So I think yeah. that actually worked out in his favour because I think if he could, he might have went down the more, like, um, like those singing and dancing way that you said, like, maybe, like, the more Jinder Mahal route of like overtly sort of like uh, flamboyant and like more Bollywood than Indian because all the countries that I mentioned like Mexico and uh, Japan do have like a strong wrestling sort of history but so mm. does India, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we do have a really strong like kabaddis like in our, our in our genes is like Punjabi. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but that's not really represented like authentically I think in, in, uh, in the Western market yet but hopefully like going forward i think as you say everyone now probably in the fear of getting cancelled but is becoming more aware and educated and and it's only a good thing to be fair but um and also just to build on that i think as well that companies have also seen the market in india as well yeah realize yeah. that there's a lot of money there so they're trying to steer that way and like you know push push talent and try and get talent out of india and things so uh, it's a good time to to try and and get into it 100% every time that I used to visit India growing up when I stayed at my nanki and stuff they had like a tv and all the time it would be just wrestling on all like on the uh, sports channels would just be like wrestling 24 7 like they, they love it over there so if yeah. you can't have a few more faces it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really really good I think there is um I'm not sure about this but I'm pretty sure there's like a, a new Munda from India um, that has signed with the WWE's um, like talent agency, I guess. I think th they have like a 
WWE India, don't they? Like, as a thing. Yeah, they have. Um, they they go out there and do sort of like um, yeah. tryouts and things like that. Um, so they've actually signed quite a few people from India. Uh, none of them have made it to sort of like the mainstream programming yet. I think there's a tag team. In, I think there's a tag team in NXT at the moment. Yeah. Um, but again, like fair, fair enough to them. Like fair play. That's if that's what their their gimmick is and that's what their look is. But again, they they are very stereotypical to that Indian look and that sort of Indian image they put across mm-hmm. um, compared to like what we what we try to do like. We we try to like represent sort of like the, what how we are like British Asian British Indian yeah. like what our culture actually is because yeah, it is yeah. very different to how people perceive it. Hundred percent, definitely. Um, the the word you use there, gimmick. I, I wanted to ask you what like what is a gimmick because when I didn't want to ask it in like an offensive way, like what's your gimmick? Because to me, when I hear like that, it's, it doesn't it doesn't sound genuine sort of thing. And you're saying mm-hmm. that obviously you want to be authentic, but generally, like in a in a broader wrestling sense, and then uh, specifically to yourselves, what uh, what is a, a gimmick in wrestling? So a gimmick is basically your character when you're wrestling. So sometimes it's literally something completely like wacky, like just something so different to yourself but sometimes it is literally just yourself but just dialed up to 10 um so it it varies you know that you have like demon gimmicks and then you have like clowns and you have whatever Mm -hmm. uh but then sometimes like you say with us and not just with us though but with some some wrestlers even like within the wwe they don't really have a gimmick they just themselves but they just dial it up they're just louder and brighter and shinier <laughs> yeah and you can change you can change like uh, uh if you needed to like along the way i guess if you're if you're going down the authentic route then it's probably uh not as appealing to change but like um for example like mick foley he had a lot of gimmicks is that, uh, mm. like mankind was a gimmick uh dude love was, is that am i uh, correct in, in yeah, yeah you're okay right. yeah I'm, I'm sort it's... of asking the question to understand it myself if that makes sense yeah yeah, I mean, going back to The Undertaker, you look at The Undertaker from when he started to now when he's retired and how many different versions of him there's been. Yeah, and he's almost went full circle as well. Like yeah. Sort of yeah. Ended yeah. I, I think also it's not it's not necessarily... You don't have to change, like, who you are as a, as a character to change your gimmick. So, like, most recently for me, like, if you look at um, Seth Rollins in WWE now... He was initially like he was just he was just Seth Rollins like he was just a, like that he was himself um, and like obviously he was like a good guy and like everyone got behind him even when he was bad but his his actual he never changed like him his, the way he looked and um, like the way he acted um, and recently he's changed his whole he's changed his gimmick to like a messiah gimmick like he's almost like Jesus Christ wrestling. Um, and he has like disciples and followers and stuff but in general he's he's changed like his coat and that's probably about it like he doesn't have to look like a completely different person and like completely go 180 to be someone different to change his gimmick I think that's like a skill in itself to sort of keep the same character but just take it down a different route what 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 like what are the difference 
between like a gimmick and a storyline because uh, another example that pops in my head is um do you remember when randy orton went through that like uh what was it legend killer phase where he just kept on booting for like rick flair in the face and then next week was like the next legend and is that was that a gimmick or was that more of a storyline and the are the two mutually exclusive or can they be like a blend if that makes sense um, so I think that they they sometimes a storyline can lead to a gimmick. So, some, right. so in in that instance, I think that's what happened. I think Randy Orton's storyline was that he was gonna, you know, beat up legends, and then the tagline stuck with him, the, the legend killer, and then that that kind of became his gimmick. So I think the two there is like a crossover between the two. Yeah, um, and the kick in itself became like a gimmick for him. So like whenever he was, whenever he was gonna have a match with anyone who was an older, like a legend in wrestling, like everyone's always half expecting he's going to kick him in the head at the end because <laughs> that's that's almost become like an add-on to his character. And enough half-built it up as well. You would go to the corner, slither on the floor like a snake, like yeah. full on pounding, waiting for the guy to get to his knees. I remember, like, I think you did it on Vince McMahon once and it was one of the best things I've ever watched, to be honest. Like, obviously <laughs> Vince McMahon's always portrayed as like the the rich guy and like is sort of like a heel and um and then when he booted him in the face i was like yeah go on lad <laughs> yeah. i think i think like that kind of thing what you say where you built it up and that that's like such a big part of wrestling which people don't really realize mm-hmm. it's not just about going in there and doing the moves it's all the other things there's so much you have to think about it that you you wouldn't really sort of associate you think oh you just go in and wrestle but so much of sort of crowd work and how you carry yourself and just the little things, they make such a difference. Yeah, I was going to mention this before with the finishes as well. Um, the Rock was always my like one of my favourites for the finishes because the variation he would put on the people's elbow, depending on the match, like longing it out so much. Sometimes you would like you would take his time. Sometimes he has the shades on. You would chuck them in the crowd. If not, he's got his elbow pad. Like it's one move, but every single match almost you would see like a different variation because of the entertainment factor or the the occasion like if it's a pay-per-view it's going to be extra special and and things like that but um yeah i think that's like a that's a part that i am um, i always loved was more the the theatrics behind it as well not just the the technical wrestling because i did love people jumping off ladders as i say like um jeff hardy before but also like um those who were a bit more like theatrical in the ring as well and made it entertaining but at the end of the day, it is entertainment. It is a show. Um, the same as someone would go to the theatre to watch a show or go and see a concert or, um, you know, you go to the cinema to watch a film. It's all ent- some form of entertainment. It's all, it needs to be theatrical to keep your attention and to give you that bit of excitement. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you have to have that bit of showmanship. And that's quite difficult to um, sort of get the hang of when you first start because you're concentrating so much on wrestling yeah. that you're not giving that showmanship when you're doing when you're doing the moves mm-hmm. um so it takes quite a while to get you get it almost a second nature to sort of make everything more extravagant um when you are wrestling and like you said about the rock i mean you've only got to see like where he is now to see like he was a natural showman like on i can't think of really many wrestlers who have been better on the mic because being on the mic is can be as big a part as how you actually wrestle. You know, if you can't get your character 
across or make people interested in you, they don't they don't really care what happens in your matches. So yeah, definitely. Because you see, there's like when you watch, do you do you see that there's like people who might not be as technically gifted uh, as wrestlers, but they're because they're so entertaining, they get given like a bigger break, or uh, or vice versa. Do you see someone who's that technically gifted or a physical specimen? In my mind, I'm thinking Brock Lesnar is not exactly very entertaining, but because he is um, like just a, a physical phenomenon sort of thing, you just hoy, um what's his name, Phil? Is it what's the guy? Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. That's the one. Paul Heyman. You just hoy Paul Heyman next to him to do all the uh, to do the all the entertainment side of things. Yeah, I think um, like Brock Lesnar, for example, he's. Um, of course, like Paul Heyman does all his talking and like builds him up and everything like that. But because of the character that Brock Lesnar is, that suits him down to a T because people don't want to see him talk. People want to see him like as this beast, like he can just like rip anyone apart and throw him around the ring. And um, but I think like for me, like since we started wrestling, that's changed the way I watch wrestling. You appreciate the art of it more. Um, and actually, like Brock Lesnar is probably like one of the most underrated um, wrestlers in terms of how good he is technically and in his storytelling and putting characters across and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think um, so. It is it is as much about talking and um, trying to get your characters across. Um, but some people definitely can can do that just through like an aura and a, a character. Um, but I think, I think you have to have everything now nowadays for the audience to even give you a chance because if you go out there and you can put on a five-star match and you see it all the time, you see it with people uh, like, I'll give you an example, Apollo Crews, who's a, a WWE wrestler. He, he's, a, he's such a, a good athlete and his matches are always good and everything, but because his talking skills aren't as good as what other wrestlers are, he's sort of mid-card to lower-card because no one's interested in him because he can't talk. Mm -hmm. So you have to have, like, everything. If not, the fans will just eat you alive because yeah. I think that's become so important to fans now, whereas back in the day, it wasn't as important. They didn't care if you can talk. If you could go in and wrestle, that was the main thing. But that's, I think, the biggest change in wrestling over the last 10 years or so is fans now demand that you are good at everything if not yeah, you've not yeah. really got a chance you can't just sort of blag it with the gift of the gab and be entertaining you you need to have the technical side to back it up yeah and and the same on the flip side to that as well mm -hmm. so for, for yourselves what what uh, aspect uh, i heard you talking before that you you were struggling more with the entertainment side when you were getting into it first but is that just because you as you said you were focusing that much on on the uh, the moves themselves then over time does when it becomes second nature is that when you can start to focus more on the entertainment or do you have to do them simultaneously because like you said you need to be the full package yeah so well, when you're when you're wrestling you have to take into account everything so you, not only do you have to sort of take into account primarily the safety of everyone involved in the match because you're trusting your opponents are trusted trusting you with you know their body um, so you have to take that into account, number one, but then also you have to remember certain certain spots that you're supposed to do. Um, but then you also have to remember 
you know, what are the crowd seeing? Can they see what I'm doing? They, they need to be able to see, they need to be able to see my facial expressions. I need to interact with them at a certain point so they're not feeling like left out or bored. Like there's so much that goes into it. So when you get in the ring, it's very easy to focus on just you, right? I need to do this, this and this, but then the match for the fans isn't as fun because you haven't interacted with them or um, given them a chance to be part of it. Does it make it easier as um, as a tag team because then the pressure is sort of divided a bit more, not just between you two, but the other two that you were going against as well. So it's not just two of you in there, but like say if there's need crowd engagement, the one who's on the sideline can sort of like uh, gear the crowd up and things. And then if there is certain things that you're you're lacking on, maybe when you're going in for a tag, you can sort of whisper things into each other's ears to like focus on this or something like that. Does that make it easier than um, like a singles match? And also have, have you actually... Um, participated in single matches or have you just done tag teams uh, so far? Um, so yeah I think being in a tag team does does help in that sense because if if you are in the ring um, and you want to sort of concentrate more on the wrestling then you have got that other person to be trying to G the crowd up or you know if you're getting if you're getting beat up in the ring then you've got that partner to sort of be like, come on, like, come on, like, you know, get the crowd behind you. And um, so, yeah, in that sense, definitely, I think it's, it's different, I guess, because when you're a singles wrestler, the crowd feels like they have to urge you on more, I feel like, because they, they're, they're all you've got is the crowd. When you've got a partner, I think sometimes that takes that partner to sort of get the crowd going um, in a tag team match. But yeah, we both have had uh, singles, not loads of singles matches, but we have had singles matches, yeah. Is uh, So uh, have you predominantly focused on tag team because you know that's like, um, that's your, like more more appealing to have uh, brothers as, as tag team partners? To be honest with you, it sounds stupid, but when we, when we went into well, our first day, we haven't really thought about being a tag team or anything like we didn't even put that together. That was them who said, well, you can't be singles wrestlers because you look exactly alike, so you have to be a tag team. <laughs> and we didn't even really ever think about it. So, um, but yeah, in terms of um, wrestling, sort of, uh, singles wrestlers, that's, that's quite a bit of a shock to the system because you're so used to, like you say, having that person to rely on uh, to tag out and sort of catch your breath and stuff. But when you're doing it and you're, it's just you, it is, it's quite hard. But it's definitely a good thing. I think it's um, it only helps your your wrestling. Uh, you have to sort of experience wrestling as a single wrestler mm-hmm. uh, to get the sort of an all round. Yeah, I think you learn a lot as a single wrestler. First of all, how tiring it is because you don't get that break on the outside, <laughs> but also um, <clears throat> sort of sort of getting getting used to having to work the crowd yourself. Um, you know, getting them to react how you want them to react and um, getting them to sort of go with the ups and then come down to the lows and uh, without that person on the side, almost like getting them to do it for you and shouting, like t- almost telling them what to do. Um, that's all down to you through your own actions. So definitely, I feel like you learn a lot more um, about yourself as a wrestler and how to do them things in a singles match. Yeah, it, it makes sense to be fair to have like a more well-rounded sort of experience. As you were saying before, you can't just 
rely on like one thing just technically in um and like energy wise but it does make sense to have that like uh, singles experience as well and that probably only make you better as, as a tag team i think some of the the better tag teams um like historically have been ones that are like two very powerful sort of single artists and then they join together like christian uh christian and edge mm. were like sort of singles and then they came together yeah, yeah. the brothers of destruction was probably one of my favorite like sort of time periods when them two came together as well um going back to your first well your second day when you you were aching and uh, you going back to that uh that gym where you, you can't feel your back and you can't feel your legs um over time like w- did you just go in as like um fairly skinny guys and then have to build up your frame or like w- how how have you sort of had to adjust your uh physiques to sort of um accommodate wrestling uh, so I, we were we were sort of gymming before we before we started wrestling, but I think we had to sort of step it up uh, once we started wrestling. So we had to definitely bulk up because there's a lot of uh, supporting each other's body weights and things. And if you're not up to it, obviously it's very dangerous. So um, it's, it's as much um, like being strength, like having strength and being like stable in the ring, as much as like aesthetics. Mm-hmm. I think as much as like for me. Um, aesthetics became more important um, once we started wrestling because of the fact that you're wearing lycra and if you're out of shape everyone can see (laughs) yeah yeah I think it's more important like the the main thing about wrestling is being safe I think you you can go in there and be safe and your opponent knows that you're a safe wrestler that's the most important thing and then once you know that you're safe then you can worry about sort of flying around and jumping off the top and all that kind of stuff that all comes later but I think to start off with, build a solid base and make sure that you're safe to work with. That was the the, the first thing that we learned, really. Yeah, um, I I can imagine. That's that's what uh, that, that's actually surprising that you said that you you focus on the aesthetics when you got into wrestling because I would have thought it was the other way around. Like if you were gymming beforehand, that would probably be for the aesthetics, like getting big biceps and all that, and then um, getting big arms and all that. But then when you get into wrestling, realizing that like oh, I need to work on my core because I need to like support this other person uh, so it's surprising that you actually said it the opposite way around um, no i think um like you said like when you go to the gym normally like obviously you tr- like you train to get stronger and bigger yeah. and of course yeah you want to have like the bigger arms and bigger shoulders and stuff i meant like more like when we go into wrestling it was more like oh we need to get a bit leaner and mm-hmm. so that you look a bit better in your wrestling gear yeah, it's not yeah. just about being looking bigger like if in general day-to-day life you're wearing t-shirts and jumpers and things like that yeah, um, yeah. that's what i meant in terms of aesthetics in terms oh, okay. of like strength and conditioning conditioning was a big one um for me <clears throat> you don't realize how um strenuous it is when you're wrestling um because it's like a blend of all exercises yeah um it's like you need the strength and like the power training and powerlifting, but then you also need to have that stamina and um, sort of agility and you was almost doing everything at the same time. It's like, you know, it like, feels like you've been sprinting for like an hour, but at the same time you've been trying to lift weights and it's, yeah, it's, it's very, very tiring. You don't realize like you've been in there a few minutes and you're like, you're sweating and it's just, it's so tiring. I think endurance is is literally the main thing uh, when it comes to wrestling. Because if you're 
you've had like a you know a 20 minute match or something towards the end of it you have to catch someone yeah but you are absolutely knackered by that point but you have to catch them because obviously yeah, yeah. you know it's dangerous if not so uh endurance is definitely the main thing that you have to focus on is that like roughly the the average time length of a match like 20 minutes because i know like some can obviously go on for for ages but would you say like around 20 minutes is the the sort of the sweet spot I think if you if you get a twenty minute match in wrestling, you're lucky. Right. Okay. okay <laughs> we so the last we time. get, uh, yeah. I mean, usually you're looking at I don't know six to seven minutes, possibly possibly longer. Uh, at sort of like a bigger event, you might get ten to twelve. But okay. uh, yeah, usually they're not they're not that long wrestling yeah, matches. Yeah, I mean, it, it can go like I think we've probably had probably like five, four or five minutes. It's probably the shortest match we've had. Um, and probably about 25 minutes is probably the longest, 25 minutes, half an hour is probably the longest. So, um, and yeah, that's at, that's at sort of the independent level, anyways, from what we know. I mean, obviously, when you get to the big leagues, you get more time, TV time, and things, but that's all sort of the, the independent shows, that's sort of the time, time frames that you're looking at. Um, and you were saying that, like, you obviously have to do pretty much a bit of everything. So, like, how did your, um, training sort of change like did, have you dabbled in like crossfit or something like that because that seems to encapsulate most of what you were saying is like high intensity but a lot of strength training and uh the and it's it's probably like interval e a bit do you know what i mean so that that seems um, like it would be like a good fit into wrestling yeah i mean we've we've considered doing crossfit right uh, we haven't actually done crossfit um but yeah i know a lot of wrestlers have taken up crossfit because it is definitely um, like in terms of strengthening your core and your stamina and your um, like lifting strength and stuff like that, it definitely does fit well around wrestling. It's yeah. also a lot better for your body and your joints than weightlifting. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, like um, at the beginning, we did we did change some of our training for a bit more endurance. Um, at the beginning of the year, we started working with a PT to sort of improve our um, durability and our agility. And they were like two of the areas where we felt like we could um, improve the most, um, as well as um, like continuing to get leaner and um, sort of put on lean muscle. Um, so we did start working with PT at the beginning of the year. Um, and obviously it's all gone a bit pear-shaped because of the yeah. lockdown and with like gyms closing and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you do, you do try to tailor it around it because if you just go in the gym and lift loads of weight, and bulk up um you might look really good but when you get in the ring you're gonna have you're not gonna be nimble um and you'll probably be knackered after about three minutes so yeah, it's probably yeah. it's not really um what you need in terms of if you're gonna put on a good match so yeah 100 that's what i was thinking as well like i i'd struggle to see how some of the bigger wrestlers can maintain their endurance for so long but it's obviously a testament to their cardio um that one of my mates up here he's got a gym and he's a pt and he's like dabbled in a bit of bit of everything like the traditional weight training bodybuilding that's like pretty much how we started becoming friends when we were going to the gym together and then he started getting into crossfit and he was like oh yeah you should try this workout and i was like okay i don't know what the crack is here like i'll give it a go though and like two minutes into like a 20 minute emom i was like no, I, I'm chopping out. I'm chopping out. I can't do anymore. <laughs> like it's it's a uh, it's grueling, but it seems like um when when I've seen other other sort of wrestlers um 
work out and things and like they're behind the scenes of their training programs other than maybe like some of the freaks like John Cena all I've seen of him is just lifting a ridiculous weight which I don't understand how he's so fast in the ring because I've seen him do like a squat with like six plates on each side and I'm thinking what the hell but um, yeah it seems like that would fit in a lot more um, and then also ha- have you had any injuries in the ring or like how do you um, work around like injury prevention as you said the next day you were sore but that's probably from like muscle shock what about like um, a body slam for example how do you sort of get rid of the aches and pains in the back for that like we were speaking before about maintaining a really strong core um, I assume like uh, you have to constantly maintain that strong core but what other little things do you do, you do to sort of prevent any injuries to be honest um I mean, to prevent injuries, stretching before a match is is the main thing that you can do. Because if you go in cold, then you're always gonna you're gonna pull a muscle yeah, or something. Okay. Um, but in terms of uh, like taking slams and hitting hitting the mat, it, it doesn't get any easier. I think your body just sort of gets used to it, used to the pain. Great muscle memory, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you, you if we have been sort of not been able to wrestle for a few weeks, and you go back in, you take that first bump. Um, you are sore. I don't think. I just don't think it gets any easier. I think it just, it, like I say, it's just a case of your muscles will get used to that impact if you're taking it on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, you can cope with it better. Yeah, I think. Um, <clears throat> yeah, in terms of recovery, like you know, whenever we'd have a train weekend and I'd go, I'd go into work on a Monday morning and I'm like limping into work and they'd be like, "Oh, have you had wrestling again this weekend?" Um, so yeah, it's um, it it definitely does take its toll on you. In terms of injuries, um, we haven't really had that many injuries. Um, I've I've got a bit of a dodgy shoulder from wrestling, but you know, you occasionally you do land funny or um, you know get twisted like you pull a muscle or something like that. Um, and it's just it's not really it is a physical sport at the end of the day. You're gonna you're gonna get some. I know Rich um, has had a concussion um, a couple. from it, yeah. yeah really? um, but like, other than like, in terms of physical injuries, luckily enough, we've sort of stayed stayed quite clear of them. Yeah, touch wood, lock on board for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Uh, what was uh, how did the concussion occur, and what was what was that like? Uh, so that was um, from me bouncing my head off the mat. Um, that was the first time it happened. Uh, the second time it happened, someone kicked me in in the head. Um, but these things are they're not like unheard of. They they are just one of the one of those things. I mean, you're taught when one of the first well, the first thing you're taught when you go into wrestling is how to land um, to spread the impact. But sometimes in certain positions you're just not able to do it. And I kind of landed and it sort of whiplashed back, and my head hit off the off the mat, and. Um, so that was one time, yeah, and, and the other time was I was on my hands and knees and, I, yeah, it's just one of my opponents just decided it's a good idea to kick me in the head. But like I say, yeah, I didn't hold it against him because it is just one of those things. It's, you know, it is a, it is a contact yeah, sport, I mean, so these things are going to happen. You do get, like, other random random sort of injuries which aren't too, too serious. Um, <clears throat> one of the good things about being in a tag team is if you do get hurt in the match, you can just tag out and um, sort of recover a bit on 
on the outside. So, um, like, we've had a match once where the guy's supposed to knee me in the stomach and he jumped up and he came down and he, he timed it wrong and basically he came down with his full body weight and his knee into my stomach. Um, and, like, yeah, I just, I was, like, completely, like, winded and I couldn't catch my breath. And um, so, basically, I had to, like, drag myself over to him and like, tag out. I just lay on the side of the ring. I couldn't. I couldn't even like get up until right at the end of the match. So, but how um, do you, how do you like indicate that to um, like your opponent? Because from the outside, we've just seen the person do the move. Yeah. We don't know that he's done it incorrectly. That it's actually like fully injured you. Um, so we don't know. Like, oh, he, he's genuinely hurt here. How do you indicate to like the other person? Like, I'm fucked, mate. I need to get out. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I mean like, what what conversation? What conversation occurs there? Or yeah, is it simply I mean, a matter of your lying on the floor going, oh, I'm fucked? <laughs> yeah, yeah almost. Yeah. Um, I think like on that occasion, he knew he knew as soon as he did it um, that it it hadn't gone like to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, like, when you when you're in there, there's quite a lot of communication between between the wrestlers. And the ref and each other, like you, you talk quite a lot in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a case of like if something's gone wrong. Most of the time, the other person will know anyway. But you can you just sort of tell them. Some people are a bit more obvious than others. Um, but sometimes it, you just you just communicate it because you you do talk quite a lot in the ring. You just don't the, the crowd don't or aren't supposed to always see that though. So. Yeah, yeah. I think like over the years, as um, like more and more sort of behind the scenes sort of things have came out where you do see like uh, the involvement of the referee, especially like how how pivotal he is, because like um, I think it's is it is it the blade when people like uh, get the head busted open? It's normally he's the one that like hands them the blade that and then they do the, the little incision. Is that is that correct or am I? I yeah, I think I think in the yeah sort of you know, the big shows in like yeah. WWE and that kind of stuff. I think that's how it works usually, yeah. But I think the ref is, uh, you know, essential really because he can communicate messages from the back, you know, from the producers or whoever's running the show. If they're not happy about something or they want to change something, they can communicate that to the referee. He can then communicate it to the wrestlers. So they do play know, a I think also yeah. it's, um, I think also with the ref, like they're, they're almost as in, like, integral to the match as the wrestlers because, you know, if someone's going to be cheating, the ref has to, sh- like, basically show the crowd that that person's cheating by how they react. Um, right. And, you know, in, like, like we were saying earlier about people being theatrical and things, you know, or when, the, when they're going to get a two count, it's nearly three and they're going to kick out. Like you see the way the refs react, like they really over exaggerate, like the counts, like yeah, swing yeah. their arm loads when they're going to do the counts, and then they'll be two, and they'll jump up and they'll like show everyone it was just a two, and yeah. um, like they they're like as as big a part of that match as almost what the wrestlers are. How they react to what's happening in the ring is how the the crowd react almost. So, do, so you were saying before that like they they can hear basically what the producers are thinking. So like when you're going into a match like how much information do you know of how the match is going to pan out and then how much is it of you just reacting to either the crowd or what the the ref says in between so like do you do you go in knowing 
right, today we're going to win or today we're not? Or do you go in knowing, like, right, today we're, I'm starting and this is going to happen, then we're going to tag you out and then we're going to do this specific move. Maybe we'll have, like, a down patch here and then we'll have the magic resurgence and finish and move, game done. Or is it, very, is it like, a lot more broad, like the first option? Uh, so it depends it completely on who you're who you're working with. Um, the the outcome's always predetermined. So the promoter will come and speak to you, and 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 they'll tell you who who they want to win. Uh, so that part's always predetermined. Um, but the match and how it's put together, it depends on who you work with. Some people prefer, you know, knowing what's going to happen play by play, uh, minute by minute. But some some people will literally just say, "Well, we'll see you in the ring," and you just go out there and and just figure it out. And and people, I think people who have the ability to change a match based on crowd reactions, I think that's that's when you can really class yourself as a professional wrestler. I think um, when you're able to do that confidently and be able to just change things, you know. Just based on how, how the audience are reaction are reacting, is uh, is a real talent in itself. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, because if the, the, I always wondered that because you, you, when you see it, you're thinking how much of this is like um, in the moment and how much of it is like, uh, as I say, like the play by play. But um, what do you think your preference is, or is it like, is it? the A side tends to determine, like if you're going in with a much more uh, experienced sort of wrestling tag team and they're considered like, like using boxing terms, the A side, I, I think it's a wrestling team as well. Um, are they normally the ones that get to say, right lads, using you on the block, like we're going to do it like this way. Or do you get an input in that as well? Do you get to say like, well, our preference is to just go in there and see what the crowd are saying. Um uh, is it a discussion or is it like whoever's got a higher rank can sort of decide? I think it's always a discussion. I think you can almost, well, most of the time anyways, it depends on who you're on against, but I think it's always always a discussion. Um, but I think, yeah, I think respect's a real big thing in wrestling. So, you know, if someone's been doing it a long time, you kind of just listen to what they want to do and, and sort of go with it. You don't, you know, you don't want to just let them sort of dictate the whole match to you. But I think out of respect, you kind of, go with what they say but the majority of it um but in terms of preference i think when you first start out or in your first matches you want to know what's happening second by second because you have to make sure the match is perfect because you don't want to make a fool of yourself or anything like that Mm -hmm. i think as you sort of get more experience you're more comfortable to go out there and just see what happens really i think for me like my preference is probably um knowing each other's like moves what each other's preference is to do in the match um and then you basically just sort of see how it goes and it's easier to communicate if you already know what the other person would like to do at some point in that match um, but generally like the one thing i learned which i didn't i never i never really got it until um i had a match with somebody um, actually like a singles match and they they said to me um okay so we'll, like tell me a few things you'd like to do and then we'll just see it, call it out there because um, he was like much more experienced than me. Um, But one thing I learned in that match was if you haven't planned it, you can't forget it because if you forget, if you're planned and you forget it, it can throw you because 
and you're trying to remember what you're supposed to be doing but if you haven't planned it then you, you don't have to worry because you're, you're thinking of it on your feet anyway so um i feel like it's a much more smoother smoother match the less you plan yeah yeah i think i think when you're starting out and you you have planned everything you go out to a match and you forget it 30 seconds in or something goes wrong and then you can't do what you plan yeah it's the worst feeling because you're just you're standing there and everyone's looking at you and they're thinking well what are you doing because you don't even know what you're doing and it's uh it's not a nice feeling at all so definitely i think to, ha- to be able to improvise is, is really important from the smiles on your face there, i'm assuming this has happened uh, and you're talking from personal experience yeah i think everyone's gone through it at some point yeah definitely so do, do you end up basically just um wrestling with roughly the same opponents the majority of the time but like there'll be a cycle like we were speaking before about the the era of tag teams of like it was Christian and Edge Jeff Hardy uh, the Hardy bro- uh, brothers and um, the Dudley the Dudley boys and like I think another thing that probably you, you'll you know this more than me but because they were constantly in a in that little triangle and constantly against each other repetitively they probably figured out each other's game a lot more so do you think that um, that is another thing that happens like when you are against the same tag teams over and over again you sort of like right this is another day we know these lads we know what they like they know what we like and it, it becomes a lot more like natural so you don't have to think about it as much yeah I think um, when we're wrestling for WAW uh, which you primarily do um, yeah you, you get used to certain wrestlers and, and what it becomes second nature. I think we were wrestling um, this one tag team going into our big show that we'd done at the Carrow Road Football Stadium. Um, but we wrestled them, you know, for about four weeks, four or five weeks straight going into that event. Mm. And it just became like second nature by the end of it because we knew what they were going to do. They knew what we were going to do. And it's just, we didn't really have to plan anything. We just went out and done it. Yeah. Um, if anything, you're just planning how you're going to make it different because you have to make it different. You can't just do the same match over and over again. So, um, but it makes it a lot easier when you know that that opponent. I think. Yeah. yeah, but then I think on the flip side to that, but when we've worked for companies like different companies, not WWE, um, it's it's exciting. It's it's something different to work with someone new and and you know you can possibly learn something from them and. They have different styles to what you've been taught because kind of at, at WW we've all been sort of learned the same style. Yeah. So I think it's always a good thing as well to work with someone outside of the bubble and then um, learn it, learn something new as well. So WAW is um, the the one that you started off with the Pages parents. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is that still going strong? And how many uh, how many wrestlers do they have? Like what what's the uh, roster looking like with with that? Yeah. So basically, they've just, um, yeah, they, they're still going strong. They've just bought a new premises, um, which is like one of the best facilities um, in Europe, probably in terms of training facilities. Um, and yeah, the company's still going strong. They've got quite a big roster. Um, their roster's sort of split. So they have um, they have uh, Bellatrix Warriors, Female Warriors, which is like a, the women's brand um, of wrestling. Um, but they also, because they, they're one of the only training schools that train sort of uh, kids. So they've got an academy as well. Um, and then they've got um, sort of an adults academy, which is the more sort of the, the 
sort of the green there, the novices, like the wrestlers. Um, and then you have the elite shows, which is like the more experienced guys who have been doing it for years and years. So, Where do you fit in that uh, hierarchies? I think we kind of, we flat. yeah, we're kind of on the balance of the main guys um, and the academy. So we're just, uh, yeah, sort of somewhere in between. We kind of do both shows. Is, is there um, many other sort of promotions? Um, I think that's the correct terminology uh, in, in the UK, or is it just like a, a couple and then they dominate most of the circuits? No, there's, there's, you know, pretty much a promotion in every city nowadays. Um, right, okay. You know, they're not all, you know, big promotions. Some only draw houses of like 12 people, but they're still promotions. Uh, and if they book you, if they're going to pay you, then obviously you take the booking. So, mm-hmm. um, but they are, you know, in terms of the real big promotions, there's, um, I don't know, probably what, five real big ones in the UK. Um, they're the ones that you really want to be working for if you want to get noticed by sort of, you know, the American companies and things like that. Is there, is there like a clear path sort of thing to like, uh, like from like stepping stone to stepping stone to, um, as you've said like before, like we've been talking about the WWE like throughout, um, because uh, I think it is the, the thing that most people um, think of when they think of wrestling. Uh, is is there like a clear stepping stone um, sort of like path to the WWE or is it very much just you've just got to keep at it and one day like a lucky break might happen? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of, you know, the second one that you said, it's more right. a sort of keeping with it. Um, and it's, it's really, it's about your brand. If your brand is well-known within wrestling, if your name's out there, then you've got more of a chance. But uh, there isn't like a, there isn't like a, yeah, like a clear path of how to get there. I mean, you, you can apply for um, tryouts with them. So even if you apply, you're not guaranteed to get a tryout. It's if they are interested in you, basically. Um, if they feel like you're some like you're marketable, and if they can make something off you, um, so there is there is the option to apply for for tryouts and things like that. But you, I feel like you need to know that you're ready because you wouldn't want to like you wouldn't want to get there and then not not make yeah. you feel like you might blow your chance. Um, in terms of like a lot of a lot of the guys who have got stability have been doing it for years and they've. Um, you know they've they've gone through all the same things that all like sort of start like beginning wrestlers do and um, you know where you you're basically working you're basically working for free and you're training and it's difficult because you're not making money and um, like a lot of the guys if you listen to a lot of their interviews and stuff they a lot of them have very similar stories when they're trying to make it but I think you're, you're right it's about sort of keep going and keep sort of pushing yourself and getting your name out there and then you've got to hope that you do get a lucky break because when you think how many people in the world would love to be at WWE and how small that pool of people actually are, that's obviously takes some going to get there. So, Yeah, definitely. Do, do they have a similar thing in the UK as they do in, like, uh, as we were saying before, India, where they, they come over and do the tryouts? So I, I imagine the applications aren't for you to go over, uh, over there, but for them to come over here and have like a UK sort of tryout thing. Yeah, so they used to do they used to do the UK tryouts when they came over to do shows over here. They come in come over like three times a year, I think, to do shows at the O2 and Wembley and places like that. Um, but 
think it was a couple of years ago they launched uh, NXT UK. So they've actually got a base here now as well. Uh, so I think they just do try it down there now. Uh, but that's obviously like another another opportunity which you you know could benefit us and, and other like, aspiring wrestlers as well because they've you know they've come to the UK and they've got a UK branch now as well. But as you say, like you, you need to have your profile and you need to be fully ready. So like I imagine that if they're going through all these applications, it's probably and they will probably look at um, other promotions to see other wrestlers, I imagine. So, like, if you reply and they've seen the name Mythologies before, wherever it may be, but it's in their mind somewhere, then there's a much higher percentage of who's getting a shot, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I think you have to have... Although, you, you know, you can apply and say, yo, we've been wrestling... But you have to have something about you. If you've been wrestling for ten years and you haven't got like a unique selling point, then they're, they're not going to really. They might look at a promotion with someone who has got a unique selling point and then go for them. So, although you can apply, I don't think it's like a, like a shortcut or anything because you still have to have something about you mm-hmm. in order for them to be interested in you. Yeah, like you were saying before, I think you have. To, you said you have to be well rounded. Like you can't. You'll get found out very quickly if. Um especially nowadays because I think everything's like sort of excelling at a rapid rate now. Like, uh, like the, the levels are just getting higher and higher and higher. So you, you probably have to be very well-rounded. Um, obviously you were saying, uh, we were talking before about, uh, you had a PT and, um, this year's obviously not went down to plan because at the beginning of the year you got the PT and then obviously all these lockdowns have happened. What impact is like, um, uh, the virus had on the wrestling circuit? Cause I imagine, a group of people inside is probably like at the last thing on people's mind at the moment. People are probably think that it's like a horror show, like a group of people inside looking at uh, like wrestlers who are sweating and all the environments getting uh, potentially polluted. <laughs> so uh, what what sort of the impact of like wrestling and things? Um, so basically <clears throat> wrestling's basically come to a standstill. Um, they they almost got it going again, sort of um, for about a month or so. But then, obviously, now we've gone to second lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it's just the setting is just not ideal for what's going on at the moment, and um, not just for the crowd, but for the rest of themselves. Because um, you know, if at the end of the day, no one really knows if they're carrying the virus or not carrying the virus, and you know, for you to be rolling around in a ring, you know, putting each other in holes, breathing on each other, like sweating is, you know, it's, it's just not really safe, is it? So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's basically just brought it to a, brought it to a standstill. There hasn't been any wrestling. I know like the bigger companies, so like WWE and stuff, they're, they're, they've continued um, obviously without any um, audience. Um, but they they, I know they don't. They can afford to do so, whereas I imagine exactly. like at a grassroots level, like yeah. the funding won't be there. Yeah, even and even then, they even then their wrestlers have had to like follow like strict sort of isolate self isolation yeah. and things like that between shows and that because obviously they need to be sure that they're safe when they go back. Um, but like you say, with like smaller independent companies, they they can't afford to be paying wrestlers if they haven't got no crowds in because obviously yeah. that's their income. So um yeah it's it's literally the uk wrestling scene is basically been non-existent this year 
So, I mean, us personally, we haven't wrestled since March now. So it's almost a year since we last wrestled. So, yeah, it's definitely taken its toll on the UK wrestling. Yeah, it's. I think that's what's happened in, in most basically sports, doesn't it? It's like um, even like the U. You see in MMA, like the UFC is able to put on these shows, but there's no audience. But I imagine at like a a more like sort of grassroots level, like independent companies or small hall shows, will probably get stopped. And it's the same with boxing. Like um, uh, I I follow boxing quite like um quite closely, and um, Matchroom have been putting on like shows, and they had to do some. Uh, Eddie Hearn's back garden did <laughs> like yeah, they, yeah. they couldn't do anything else and even then they have to book out a hotel have all the fighters who were coming in from this country and abroad get tested and in the hotel before like a Tuesday before the Saturday night show and it's like mm. I imagine with the WWE because it's the same roster of people they'll, they'll just be like well if I've got you all in this bubble there's no point in leaving just there's no point in risking it and even then like um, I think it was this past weekend was supposed uh, on Saturday was supposed to be um, Dillian White versus Povetkin two, and that got cancelled because Povetkin in Russia got COVID. He was in hospital, so like um, it's it's a crazy time we're living in. Like it's uh, everything's up in the air. Do you think when you're going back into it, there's going to be uh, any lasting repercussions of of this, or do you think when everything is back to normal, then it's just straight back into it? Yeah, I think I think it should just sort everything should sort of fall back into place again. Um, I can't see there being any sort of long lasting effects on wrestling. I think the only sort of thing that I would say is that a lot of companies probably have struggled during this period and probably shut down a lot of the, the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. So there might be like less promotions to go back to. But I think once wrestling sort of back up and running again and people sort of become more financially stable, I think more promotions will probably open up again and, and things should sort of go back to normal. It's not a nice thing to say, but do you think potentially, because you, you're with um, WAW, do you think, and they, they as you said, they're, they're opening a new facility, which is one of the best in Europe. So they, they seem to be like financially sound uh, in that respect. Do you think because of, there'll be less promotions around the country, um, as you say, from like COVID, uh, it probably puts you in like a higher standing. Obviously, it's like um, it's not a nice way to think of like, oh yeah, the virus is benefiting us. But in reality, like people have benefited. Like any pharmaceutical companies benefited. <laughs> Do you know what I mean if they get the vaccine? Do you think is like uh, uh, because you're in already in with one of the um, bigger promotions in the UK that you could benefit potentially because there'll be less competition in that respect? Um, yeah, I think. I think being associated with a company like WAW is always a good thing because they are, you know, a well-established, well-known company, anyways. Um, so yeah, I mean, with there being, I suppose there'll be sort of more people wanting to train with WAW and, and companies like that if the smaller companies have shut down. Um, and already sort of being there and having a standing with them is, is always like a good thing. So yeah, I mean, like you say, it's not a nice thing to say, but you know, you know. If anyone can sort of benefit from, you know, this virus, then that's only a positive thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's an awkward thing to say because you don't want to look at like the silver linings, but you sort of have to. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to take any positive where you can, because otherwise, there's enough negativity going around. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you can take yeah. a positive, then surely, surely you should. 
Um, on a less depressing note then, because <laughs> that hasn't exactly been the nicest uh, little segment there. But um, speaking of this weekend, um, obviously White Pavekin was supposed to happen, but Survivor Series also happened, which was um, Undertaker's retirement. As you were saying before, your um, massive fan of The Undertaker. And he also had a docuseries, The, the Last Ride. Um, have you been keeping up with, with that as well? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh... It's really weird to see the Undertaker not being the Undertaker because he's never he's never a broken character. So for him to start doing it now is really weird, but um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it was like it was for me. It was amazing to see just how committed he was to that character and to making that character work. Like he full on like dedicated his life to making sure that character was was working and people believed in that character i think that's that's like amazing to see so like for him now it must be a relief to be able to like be himself and not have to be the undertaker um but yeah i mean for him to have got that character because when you look at that character for someone who doesn't watch wrestling they think oh yeah he's like a dead man yeah that's realistic like <laughs> It's the way you look at it like that. You think, how could he have possibly have made that character last thirty years yeah. and have people still be excited to see him? Um, so, like by far, like one of the greatest ever. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I can't say I did watch like Survivor Series um, itself, but I did see a few photos. And um, is it Paul Bearer who was? Like, they made a hologram of him, and he did, mm-hmm. he did the, the Neil. I thought that was. I see, I seen the picture uh, this morning. When I woke up and like um obviously you, your childhood come back and you get like goosebumps and stuff that was quite cool, and yeah, um, it's nice yeah, yeah. There, there was um there's a show that uh, I seen um the Undertaker on uh, as he's doing like the press round for this week and like he's authentically himself. I, I didn't watch uh, the the last ride or haven't watched it yet. Sorry, um but he was doing um have you heard of hot ones where like they eat the spicy chicken wings. I saw it, I, I saw it advertised that he was doing it. I haven't watched it. No. It's quite sick, to be fair. I watched that, and like as you say, it's weird to see him not as the Undertaker. And he <laughs> he admits himself that because he's been it for thirty years, like him doing the press round as not the Undertaker is was weird for him as well. Like because he constantly refused doing press because he wanted to have this mystique around um mystique yeah. around like his character, which was it, it is quite um. It's quite weird because obviously you grow up with like this iconic sort of figure, and then eventually he's he's back to being mortal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and from Survivor Series uh, and and the Undertaker, um, there was a question before when we were speaking about gimmicks, um, and obviously like his overarching gimmick has been like the dead man, but he has has phases in in between. And um, mm-hmm. as as a fan of the Undertaker, what was uh your favourite sort of period of The Undertaker? Um, For me, I think the most entertaining period of The Undertaker was when he formed the Ministry of Darkness. I don't know if you remember that or not, but um, they had formed like this alliance and they had like so many people involved and they used to do like really crazy stuff, like tie people or try and crucify people and stuff like that. And I think they done it to Stephanie McMahon once. And I think that, that, period of the undertaker is probably the most entertaining period because he done stuff where although yeah he was you know the dead man and everything else but you know he was doing some crazy stuff um and then 
I think after that it was the period where he came back at WrestleMania, um, WrestleMania 20, I think, to face Kane, I think, and when he returned as the dead man after the uh, American Badass gimmick. Uh, uh, that, I think that, that was that, my that, favorite. That yeah, was my favorite. Yeah, it's uh, he speaks about it in that interview as well. When he was like, um, because I think the question, the the guy who was asking the questions was like, what's your favorite theme song? And he goes, um, I've had like a few good ones, but when uh, Limp Biscuit played, yeah, played yeah. that live for the first time and the pop and all the cheer with that, yeah, and I was yeah. Like, yeah, that brought back memories for me because that used to be like, um. I still have that song on one like my gym playlist specifically just because it's the Undertaker theme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's one of them, uh, one of their memories. Definitely, yeah, it's a uh, similar for myself. Um, so um, other tag teams, uh, other wrestlers at the moment currently. Uh, I can't say I'm like clued up to the WWE at the moment or any like uh, wrestling. But who who would you say is because we talked about yeah previously and like when you were growing up. But who would you say is probably your favorite? Um, Split into two categories of entertainment and technically, uh, at the moment, who's wrestling? Uh, one of the most my favorite people to watch, and I was really disappointed when they left the WWE, but obviously they, we can still watch them at AEW. Is uh, the Revival? Uh, I think they're known as FTR now, but their their tag team matches are the most entertaining that I've seen in a really really long time. They they completely revamp the tag team you know how we were talking about sort of uh, the hardy boys and uh that era i think the revival sort of done it for this era where they sort of elevated everyone else in the tag team division as well the usos were elevated i think because of sort of the revival and everyone else uh there were other tag teams as well that had these really amazing matches with them mm-hmm. so i think they're they're like their their team that i really really enjoy watching i think they how, really, how changed, they, they think... really changed the style as well like they weren't about doing like um, like flips and loads of kicks and things like that. Like they they wrestled and they like they they told stories with their matches, and yeah, like like Rich just said, like the their matches were the first tag team matches I watched in a long time. And I was like, what a match that was! That was like incredible. Um, so in terms of tag teams, yeah, I'd say them um, and the Usos and New Day, them, them three as a, as different tag teams, completely different styles, but they, they definitely have like raised that tag team division and raised the bar. Yeah. And then sort of going into sort of singles wrestlers, um, Kevin Owens is always fun to watch. I think he's really, really good. Um, Seth Rollins. I'm a big Roman Reigns fan. I know a lot of people find that controversial because, you know, he gets, he gets a lot of bad press for whatever reason, but, I don't. I don't think I can remember a bad Roman Reigns match. Though I think he's on the mic. He's improved a lot as well. So uh, why yeah, do people the, dislike him? I don't know. I think it's because he's positioned. He was positioned by the company to be the next main guy, and for for some reason, the audience is very very strange nowadays. And like, as soon as there's a guy who's pushed, like. They they reject him and they don't they don't they'll boo him. And the same thing happened with Cena before him. Yeah. And I don't know I don't know why, but it's like back in the day, good guys were good guys and bad guys were bad guys. But nowadays, there's this blurred line where, as soon as someone seems to be like, oh, the WWE wants to push this guy, fans will reject him, and I just don't really get it. But <laughs> that's just yeah, how it I, is. I think for me, um, like currently in wrestling, 
like the the best all round person is and is and was uh, for the last like few years is Chris Jericho. Um, like he's like on the mic. I don't think you can really get much better than him. Yeah. Um, and also in ring as well, so good in the ring. Um, and AJ Styles is another one mm-hmm. who's um, a lot of, like. To be fair, we we didn't used to watch a lot of independent wrestling and things like that, but so he's just so good, like, so technically good. For me, for me, AJ Styles is probably the best wrestler in the world. I think. Yeah. What well, on a technical he's... side of thing or an entertainment above? Everything. I think all round, he's yeah. he's absolutely the best. Yeah, I think he could, anyone can have a match with him, and he'll make them look really, really good. But also, he can he can talk, he can do everything. I think he is. I think that's the, the biggest thing for me is. Um, like one of the biggest signs of like being like one of the best is being able to bring the other person up to your level. Um, that's one of the things like we're we're taught at wrestling, but to actually see someone do it on that level, to be that good and be able to bring other people up to their own level, I feel like that's that just like sets you apart. Yeah, he is. Uh, I, I do remember him at his days at TNA as well. He was in um, TNA, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That he was. Um, He's really cool then as well. Him and uh, Samoa Joe were yeah. um, were like always had like a bit of a rivalry back in them days. And then uh, I remember when he did move to the WWE. Like um, I remember watching that uh, episode like back on YouTube. And like I think because he was known for his TNA days, like the pop was a bit like extra when he when his like music yeah. came out. But it was it was, um, it was dope. Uh, um, do what about uh? finishing moves for yourselves like do you have individual finishing moves or do you have a tag team finishing move that you uh use use having have you took inspiration from other tag teams um when when you were finding your finishing move or was it something that you wanted to be uh authentically yourselves and I, I guess it's hard to be original um now because like it's like everything's sort of been done oh well everyone always thinks everything's sort of been done so um what was that sort of like uh, like to find your own finishing move. Um, so with with we have like wrestling is all about learning and sort of taking things from other people and trying to sort of adapt them and sort of make them original, even if the base move is is some has already been done. Um, so we have taken like little moves from um, other tag teams, especially like tag teams of the past. Um, sort of like pre-attitude era, even way like before our time, like it's all about educating yourself and watching um, like what's already been done and learning from that. Um, and we, we have got a signature move. It hasn't really got much of a name yet, has it? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, we're, it's, it's quite lucky because anyone who has seen it has said they haven't seen it before. So maybe we, we got lucky and it is something original because I hadn't seen it before. Um, so yeah, we've had a few people, like a few people from the States and that have come over and seen it and gone like, oh, do you know what? That's actually original. Like, we haven't seen that. So yeah, I guess we, we did pretty well to sort of think of something. Is there footage of this finisher move on online or anything? Or like, where can I see this? Or are you going to have to describe it to me for me? Yeah. To yeah. So I don't think, I don't know if there's any footage online. So it's basically, um, a cat a catapult into an RKO. So when we say catapult, yeah, yeah, what we mean is so one of us, it doesn't matter who, will grab the sort of the legs of our opponent and sort of fall back 
and yeah, kind of yeah. hold them up and the other guy will sort of RKO him. So back back in the day, you used to see um, a lot more of the catapult where they would like sling them up, so they would like end up going into the corner. Yeah, and they would like hit their head into the corner. Um, so it's that kind of a catapult. So like almost like a reverse like wheelbarrow. So they on their back, you hook their legs up, and then when you fall back, your legs push them up. Um, but yeah, then so so sling them up, and then the other one RKO's them mid air. So. That sounds that sounds very cool. To be fair, it sounds like something that you can like create your own move on, like WWE, like on the game or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's dope. That's dope. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. What I like to do is at the end is just um ask some quick fire questions. Uh, I haven't actually had two guests before, so maybe we'll just do this like one at a time, like we we'll have so far. Um, if that's uh, if that's cool with you. If there's anything else um that you just want to talk about, obviously I'll plug everything at the end. But is there any other topics that uh you think I'll missed or want to touch upon no no i've enjoyed it it's been good yeah yeah i think the only thing i'd say is that um you know we've had a really good response from like the asian community the mm. punjabi community um you know not just from in england like we get messages from people from india who come across our instagram or people from america um so it's really cool like that people want to support you and want to see you like break them barriers and sort of open doors for people um yeah. and you're like yeah we've had like even a lot of like the Punjabi singers and artists and stuff have like tweeted us and messaged us you know saying like, it's awesome what you guys are doing like, it's so cool to see someone trying something different and like getting the you know the Asians into these sports where you don't really see them um so yeah it's been it's really it's really nice to sort of see everyone sort of get behind you and want you to succeed yeah just to piggyback on that as well jesse Sidhu, like we asked him for permission to use his song sing for our entrance music which he he you know he didn't have no problem with it he let's have it um and he's always like sort of he'll um sort of comment on our stuff and say that you know when you know we're making people proud and things like that so you know it's always nice to hear from someone in his position as well yeah i think i've seen that on uh what one of your instagram pages uh recently with the uh, with the music in, in the background and it is it is like refreshing to see because you as we were talking about before like the you don't see many indians in there you don't see many punjab well the indians that we have seen in the wwe luckily for um our personal pride as punjabis have pretty much all been punjabis but they sometimes do seem a bit gimmicky and forced and none of them are like actually um authentically like Sardar's either do you know what I mean so to represent like that one step further is always uh it's always like cool do you know what I mean like there's always a barrier to be broken even though it seems like most things have been done user just showing that like now nah, there's there's one more step that we can do do you know what I mean which is uh which yeah, is always, thank you yeah no 100 percent. as 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 I say like I've done a few posts recently and like educating myself on wrestling and like Dada Singh, because when I used to watch WWE, my dad used to always mention like, "No, nah, Dada Singh better be yeah, one yeah. of these." Exactly, exactly. So I was like, "Yo, who is this Dada Singh?" Yeah, I need to <laughs> but then when you get into it and you think we actually do have like a, a history in in uh, in wrestling and and being like a strong sort of individuals and strong as like a, a, a sort of community, but um, not exactly represented in the places that we need to be because I don't know for whatever reason maybe it's our community wants to be more um like 
I don't know how to word this correctly without seeing being uh, very offensive, but I know I feel like it's you, you, there's always like you want to do your work behind closed doors and not show it off in case. Well, of, I, think, I think there's almost yeah, like an expectation as well, isn't there? The expectation yeah. in our communicate in our community of what people should do and what kind of jobs they should have and how they should live their lives. And exactly. I think like, like I said, it's not, like we don't see ourselves as like, are oh, we going to go and break barriers and, you know, open doors and stuff. But effectively, if we can succeed, that is what we're doing. And we're showing people like, there's no, like this, why not give it a go and try something different that someone hasn't done because you never know, do you? And it's so much easier to do something when you've seen somebody who looks like you doing it like um and and not just for the merit of like the color of the skin or something like not just because it's like a, a token brown person here when you see someone who's legitimately enjoying what they do in a field that isn't the typical doctor lawyer engineer then it's a it's so much more refreshing you thinking i enjoy that as many kids like my age when we were like all three of us were growing up watching the attitude you were thinking that's amazing and then yeah. there's going to be so many kids right now looking at um, yourselves, Jinder Mahal, uh, Great Carly, whoever it may be, thinking, yeah, that's that's me, that's me sorted. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm going to perceive. Hundred percent. Yeah, if one if one person can feel like that, then yeah, that's that'd be amazing if we can have that effect on someone. So definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, so we'll finish with some quick fire questions and. Um, yeah, well, the first one is, what are you most proud of so far? Um, so we've done a show, uh, which I mentioned, um, at Carroll Road uh, Football Stadium, which um, the crowd drew, I think it was over four and a half thousand, which is pretty big for like an independent show. Um, but yeah, a lot, basically, you know, lots of my family came, lots of our family came, friends came to watch that show. So that for me is like probably the most, Thing that I'm proud of, and and it was in the football stadium, so that's cool. Like yeah. just walking out in a football stadium was like so like, surreal. Like you never think you're going to get a chance to do something like that. Um, for me, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that we've sort of stuck to our stuck to our guns in terms of what we wanted our identity to be. Um, because, like we've said before, like about the stereotypes and all that kind of stuff. There's like an expectation of what people expect from you in wrestling. Um, and yeah, so I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of that we've sort of stuck to our true identity of who we want to portray. Um, I think you, you answered this already, but what is your favourite memory of your career so far? Is it is it the Carol Rowe show? Um, no, I think my favourite memory is probably of our first, first ever match that we had. Um, just the feeling after afterwards coming backstage and um, Julia, so well, Soraya Knight was there, um, Paige's mum, and she like, greeted us backstage and said how well we done. It was, it was just a very surreal feeling to think oh, I've just had my first professional wrestling match. Like that was that's probably my favorite memory of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I think my my favorite memory is is the Carrow Road show, um, but sort of like in our entrance. So on the in the entrance, we got up on one of the corners. So we were both facing out on the same corner and the side of the stadium we were facing was where all our family was. So we had like all our like direct family, but also all like our extended family and all my friends were in that stand. So you're like looking out 
and it's like thinking it's mad like to think they're watching me do do this do you know what i mean like yeah yeah like it was the first time so that was the first time that um, um no it wasn't the first time mum and dad come but a lot of the people who did come it was the first time they saw us wrestle and for it to be on like be on a stage like that that was pretty like i got goosebumps like, yeah just looking out um i can imagine i can imagine um what is what are you most looking forward to um that's a good question. <laughs> uh, what am I most looking forward to? Uh, probably just meeting more people like and talking to them about wrestling because when we go out and do shows, um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but when you see little kids and they literally look at you like you're the rock, like <laughs> they're absolutely like mesmerized by you. Like, that is like probably the best feeling for me as a wrestler is to give like someone else that feeling of being like wide. So that's what I look forward to the most. I think for me, like look, what I look forward to is just getting to like get out there more and show more people. And basically like every crowd reacts differently to us and every crowd, well, they react differently to every wrestler, but getting to see what reaction you get from them crowds. And like Rich said, like little kids, they tend to like love us because of our music and our wrestling gear and stuff like that. But in in general, like you have such a mixed reaction and like it's always nice to see what reaction you can get out of that crowd, whether they're supposed to hate you or love you, it doesn't really matter. It's, that's what I look forward to is um, seeing if you can get that reaction getting a reaction I think is the most important thing it doesn't matter what how they react but as long as they react if you walk out to cricket it's the most awkward thing in the world because like no one cares and you just think oh well, this is going to be fun so um, yeah getting a, getting a reaction is probably the most important thing yeah yeah um, what is your um, biggest motivation I said um, these are just, quick fire questions, but they were always proper deep. So, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think what we spoke about, uh, my, my motivation is to prove that, you know, we can, people that look like us can, can you know, achieve something because, you know, there's, al there's always like a reason not to do something like, oh, you know, we can't do it because of this, can't do it because of our bug girl, can't do this because of, you know, you know, turbans, you know, whatever. So, for me, yeah, my motivation every time is that just to prove to people that we can do it, you know, it can be done. Yeah, I think just off, just like piggyback on that, really, um, just to prove that we can, um, we can achieve something. Um, and I mean, you know, if it gets to the point where we can do it as a full time job, that's that's like the dream, but ultimately that takes a long time and it takes a lot of hard work and um, luck. yeah and luck so um you know as far as we can get that's that's what we're aiming for you know there's no we haven't set ourselves any limits um or like any sort of i wouldn't say unrealistic goals but at the same time you have to be realistic what you feel you can achieve so you know the the, the opportunity is limitless but it does take a lot of hard work so you know however far we can get is like that's how far we'll go yeah yeah i think it's probably better to not have a limit like a limit because then 
when you achieve that, you might end up getting like lethargic at that stage and thinking, oh well, we've we've reached like our mountain top and the next one could yeah. be even bigger. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how did you celebrate your first major success, and what was that first major success? Um, probably our first our first like belts like um, so we weren't we had not been doing it for that long really um, and um, we weren't expecting to have any belts anytime soon and they um, we we've managed basically they put some belts on us and that was like a surreal feeling because like you know when you're young you have like the plastic ones that you like. You, when you're playing wrestling and you have the plastic belts that you carry around with you and stuff, and then you get these other ones, you get these proper ones which are like heavy and like you know, and you actually win it and you're like standing in front of a crowd holding a belt, and um, that was probably like the first like big moment for us as a as a tag team. Um, we didn't really celebrate it. We, we had we had work the next day, so we had to just come home. <laughs> got some pizza on the way home and that was about it really um but yeah like it's it's mainly we don't celebrate it as such it's just like even after the carol road show it's just nice to sort of come home and like spend time with the family and just like get to see how like what their reaction was and how they felt like seeing us do that yeah yeah just just sorry on a different sort of point but i think that's one of the weirdest things about wrestling how we do it because we work full time alongside it is that you you wrestle one night and you have this high of like winning these belts and and then the next day you just get up and you just go to work like the, the contrast is so is so like much it's, it's really yeah, weird massive. like superman and clock Kent sort of thing like yeah, yeah go yeah. back into work and you're unrecognizable <laughs> yeah um what is your definition of success uh my definition of success is if it goes again, it goes back to the same sort of point, but you know, if people, you know, if we can make someone believe that they can achieve what they want to achieve, then that's us being successful. You know, getting to WWE would be the dream, not just WWE, obviously there's other promotions out there, um, but you know, make it to a high level in the professional, professional wrestling world would be great. But success for me would be people to say, the 4G done that, you know, why can't we do it? So, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's just success in wrestling is for people to to know who we are and to know more about us. And even within our own communities, like across the country, for people to know, oh, yeah, have you seen them two single brothers who are wrestling? And, you know, just, just for us to be a bit more um sort of well known through through like the wrestling community uh, would be would be a success because that is that is a point of there isn't really anyone like us in terms of our look and our culture and stuff like in the wrestling scene so um you know to sort of spread that and make people more aware of it i think would be success for us and um, lastly, because um, it's the CultureCast podcast, how do you think your culture has affected you thus far? In terms of wrestling or in general? In life, in wrestling, um, however you want to take take it, yeah. As broad or as narrow as you, as you want. Um, so I think the, the difficult thing with our culture is that 
there's a lot of pluses to our culture, but there's a lot of negative points within the Indian culture too. No one likes to talk about it, but it, it's true. <laughs> um, so I think, and I think to be honest with you, a lot of the culture actually hinders, you know, a lot of people. Uh, it contradicts the religion in a lot of ways as well. And um, so I think with the culture, you have to take the good points and celebrate the good points. But I think really, our generation has to be the generation which pushes back all the negative points of the culture and, and then we can move forward from there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's important for us to stay in touch with our culture, um, but it doesn't mean that culture can't change. And, you know, we, we look at it with like fresh eyes, basically our generation, I feel, um, to like the elders. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, if we feel like something isn't right or something needs to change, I feel like we need to do that. Um, and, you know, that in itself will break barriers for the next generation and, you know, make their lives easier, make their lives more productive in a lot of ways, I feel. Um, but it is important not to lose touch with the culture um, because that is who we are at the end of the day. That's our roots. Yeah. And like we've said before, like we're, we're proud of our roots, we're proud of our culture. And for us, in terms of wrestling, like that's given us a, a foot up, if anything, because that's that's what makes us like the four G. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. we we are different. We are like sing. We are um, Indian. We can come out with the bangra music playing. We can come out with the doll, and you know we've got the swords on our wrestling gear, and we wear shivanya, and everything makes us unique. Um, so from a wrestling point of view, the culture's been a huge positive i think 100% couldn't agree more and uh for me as like a, a person who's grown up watching wrestling as well it's uh, as i've already said it is very refreshing um not just like being able to see you guys um excelling and doing what you're doing and um like sort of proudly representing but even more so to be able to talk to you as well and um for you to give me um uh, like an hour or two of your time which is which has been a uh, really nice um, so thank yeah. you very much for, for that. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. No, it's, yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it.